Welcome to Technovation. I'm your host, Peter High. My guests today are Cameron Zaki and Ruland Prince. Cameron is the Chief Operating Officer and Ruland the Chief Customer Officer of Adyen, a Dutch unified commerce company that provides end-to-end payments, data, and financial management for its customers. The company has grown remarkably in recent years, going from a venture-backed unicorn to a public company that earns roughly a billion euros in annual revenue. I look forward to hearing more about the company's growth and the ambition these executives have for the future of the company. Cameron Roulant, welcome to Technovation. It's great to speak with you today. Thanks for having us, Peter. Thank you. It's a great pleasure. Uh, Cameron, maybe I'll begin with you, if you don't mind. Uh, I know from our past conversations that uh, Adyen is Surinamese for Start Over Again, uh, perhaps in some ways emblematic of the company's original mission of building a modern infrastructure, infrastructure directly connected to card networks and local payment methods across the world, uh, allowing for unified commerce, a topic I'd like to get into in more depth in a moment. But could you provide a quick uh, thumbnail sketch? I provided the quickest of them. And please, please perhaps uh, go a little bit deeper, if you would, as to the business you all are in. Absolutely. Thanks, Peter. Yeah, to your point, um, our founders uh, had a company before Adyen that was in the payment space that they sold off. Um, Roulant was part of that company as well. Um, And when we first started, we were actually a technical partner for global companies who had payment needs around the world, and we would help them connect to different banks or providers. What we quickly realized over the years was that um, yeah, a lot of those uh, providers were built on legacy infrastructure, right? Uh, mainframe systems built over 30 years, grown through M&A. And then often when things went wrong, um, it was really hard to figure out how to troubleshoot it and how to offer a great customer experience. So we evolved from there. Uh, we were able to get sort of a payments institute license in Europe, eventually a bank license. We became direct members of Visa and MasterCard and in other parts of the world and really started providing an end-to-end capability for e-commerce and mobile payments for large enterprise customers, right? Early days, it was think uh, customers, for example, like Vodafone or KLM, Groupon International, et cetera. From there, technology advanced and you you touched on unified commerce. Um, we realized we could also support in-person payments, right? Um, so basically it was our software, our security on top of sort of the third-party hardware. And the real capability we were bringing is we're already helping you globally for digital payments. Now we can help you sort of in-person as well. And we can really then be somewhat unique in supporting you globally and across all channels on the same modern technical infrastructure. Um, And it's advanced a bit from there. Um, So we got additional customer feedback and needs. Um, And one of the things that started taking off was marketplace and platform business models, right? And they said, hey, we have lots of small business customers. And so in addition to offering just the basic payment capabilities around the world and across channels, can you also help us with some of the regulatory compliance aspects of how do you do KYC, know your customer or AML anti-money laundering for onboarding these? And then, hey, once we collect the payments, also can you help us pay out to these customers around the world? So we launched what has since then become Adyen for platforms, where if you have a marketplace or platform business model, you can partner with Adyen and offer embedded payments, right? Um, so we are inherently B2B in nature. So it's a quasi white label offering where, you know, these small businesses don't even see Adyen by and large, right? They just are using um, the platform to run their business and uh, for their payment capabilities. 
And then the newest part of our business is we started hearing these are small businesses and so they have additional needs. For example, small businesses typically need working capital. And if you're offering working capital, how do you get that to them quickly? Or how do you give them the proceeds of all the payments you process more quickly? Um, so we uh, are able to offer business accounts to them and also debit cards. So the best example is um, you're a platform, your small business needs working capital. We process all the payments. We have a lot of data. We can use the data to say we're willing to underwrite a loan for, let's say, $10,000 because your restaurant uh, customer wants to buy a new stove or ice machine or a bunch of things. Um, it's instantly approved. If they say they want to take it, we can instantly put those $10,000 in a business slash bank account for them. And we can also attach a debit or prepaid card to it so they can start using those instantly to buy the goods and services or raw materials from that bank account or in a physical environment with that debit or prepaid card. And it's still, we are B2B. This is sort of an embedded financial product experience where it's really the platform serving their end customer. So that's how things have evolved over the last 16 years, probably a bit more than a quick thumbnail ske uh, sketch, but wanted to try and explain uh, what we do because it's expanded quite a bit over the years, uh, both in depth, breadth, and geographic uh, scope. Remarkable. Thank you so much, Cameron, for that overview. Uh, Rulant, I'd love to turn to you and, and dive a little bit further into this concept of unified commerce. We heard a bit about some of the connection points uh, from Cameron a moment ago, but I wonder if you could take a bit more of uh, provide a bit more of a context as to what that means and why it's a key ingredient for digital transformation in your mind. Yeah, no, absolutely. I'll try and explain it a bit also in how, you know, the world of commerce and retail has evolved over the years. If we go way, way, way back, of course, there was just a single channel. You would go to a store and buy products. Very simple. Um, then the next phase came, let's say early 2000s, when we started to talk about multi-channel. Yeah, we're not only selling uh, in a store, we're also selling online uh, and we're selling through call center. Typically, those were multiple channels through which you sell your, uh, you're able to sell your product. Um, fast forward a bit further, multi-channel turns into omni-channel. The driver for that was really, um, hey, we're not seeing these three channels, traditional channels anymore. There's, oh, there's now also a phone, there is social media, there's all these other uh, different evolving channels that you can buy on. And it basically was a way to say, hey, retailers, you need to service customers wherever they want to buy your products make sure you're able to offer it could also be uh, platforms like amazon etc um, but it's always been taken by the angle of make sure uh, consumers can buy with you in in any different channel and and facilitate that now unified commerce is very much a next step and it's very much a next step in in how consumers interact with brands uh, where there's a few additional factors that play a key role, in my opinion. So number one is personalization. So instead of where can I buy, people want to be offered a much more personalized service. They want to see products that really matter to them um, and expect that sort of service levels. Um, secondly, um, convenience has become a really big item. Uh, convenience in, you know, it should be really simple to purchase something with a, with a retailer, but also if something goes wrong or I want to return an item, it needs to be super simple. I want to be able to buy something online, return it in a store or whatever combination I as a consumer prefer. So that's really the third element. Shopping's very much evolved towards 
hey, I want to be in control as a as a consumer, and it shouldn't be dictated by the uh, by the brand. So where does unified commerce play? Unified commerce comes in uh, because that's really a terminology that talks about um, providing an infrastructure as a retailer that enables to provide shoppers these really personalized ways to interact with you across any channel they like for any different situation they prefer. And um, that infrastructure, of course, it goes for how you fulfill products also payments turns out to play a really big role there to enable this this dream world this um, situation that you want to create because payment really unlocks a lot of uh, possibilities it unlocks the possibility if you buy something online return it in store to make a refund super simple Um, it also gives a lot of customer data and that customer data is exactly what retailers are looking for to offer your personalized uh, products. We've learned over the years that data is so key to make all this possible and that payments is really one of the only ways to uh, to get access to that. So in summary, unified commerce is about delivering this this new way where consumers are really in control on on how they shop with retailers and, and payments can really provide that. Very interesting. Uh, staying with you for a moment longer, Rulant, I wanted to ask you, you know, the past two and a half years of the pandemic have led to some rather remarkable changes across the landscape, and certainly retail is no different from that. And, and I wonder, as somebody who works with so many uh, leading brands around the world, uh, what sorts of challenges you help them face, what you learn from them, frankly, and perhaps by extension, as a, as a leader, uh, longstanding leader within this organization, your own personal learnings uh, from from the dynamism of these times? Um, yeah, that, ooh, there, there, there's quite a number of things. I think one learning is that, um, you know, a, a crisis like that really, really uh, unlocks a lot of innovation because you have to. And, and for many years, we've seen that, um, especially in retail, uh, innovation and change was hard. You know, there's a lot of legacy out there. There's so many different priorities. And to make real technology change in these companies is really, really difficult. And for a long time, we saw that, you know, um, the in-store teams within retail and the online teams in retail were operating quite separately. Yeah, that, that's all a thing of the past. The You know, where the pandemic has really played a, a big role is to re- really accelerate the role of technology. Um, and um, it, it, it's really accelerated it by years. And it means that we're now seeing, um, you know, QR codes in many places where we didn't see them uh, at all in restaurants and coffee bars. And people like it. People use it. It's a convenient way to uh, to order, but also to pay for services. Um, we see the other thing that we've seen is that for a long, long time, data has been a big promise of unified commerce in in retail, um, but it never was uh, getting to a stage where people really benefited from it. It, be, it remained a promise for a long, long time. And I think what we've seen in the pandemic is that there have been a lot of situations where, um, and for example, large retailers had to shut down all their stores, saw their online uh, sales go through the roof, Uh, But then they were making a lot of assumptions around like, hey, who are these shoppers? Are they all our existing shoppers that have moved from in-store physical retail shopping to online? Or are they real net new shoppers? And the payment data that we uh, we can provide to them gives a lot of that information. We can tell them 
you know, this percentage of people have shopped with you before, this percentage of people have never been with you before, and it gave them so much more insights um, that I think what, what we've seen is that retailers have really seen the real benefit of, of data in, in how they can run their business. They've seen that it's actually possible and they can now build on that. And I think that's been really a breakthrough, um, which has been quite uh, quite exciting, to be honest. Yeah, and if I could just add on one practical example, I think both of us were discussing with our teams today was um, one of our customers is a, is a pizza chain. Um, and uh, they were looking at their own data and they saw Peter, right? Uh, and they said, hey, Peter has bought from us two times in the last year, uh, every six months, and that's it. And that's because they were only looking at one channel. And once we were able to look at the online and the physical, they realized, yeah, you, Peter only ordered twice online, but Peter came in to pick up a pizza every week for the last year, right? And so P Peter could be one of their top 5% or 1% customers, but because they were historically fragmented in terms of payments and how they were able to aggregate and concatenate the data, they really didn't know who their most loyal customers were. And I think that's just a really practical example that hopefully brings this to life for people uh, of how valuable this can be and, and why we really started focusing on it for retail, but also for food and beverage and hospitality and sort of a couple of uh, relevant uh, industry verticals. Very interesting examples that each of you share. I really appreciate that. Uh, Cameron, I was reflecting uh, as you were going through your uh, the evolution of the business, that very nice description you provided of its evolution, that uh, it was a very tidy description that I have to imagine involved all sorts of complications as this organization grew, became more complex, You know, went into new geographies. Uh, you were part of that as uh, your first role with the organization was as president of North America, and no doubt, uh, you know, sort of learning the American market and and taking what what had been very successful uh, in its European roots and going into new geographies and so forth. I wonder if you could reflect a little bit about some of the, you know, operational uh, hurdles that you had to clear in order to uh, be a successful now international brand that you have become. I, I, I think of like the regulatory issues associated with all that you bring to life. To say nothing, of course, of making contact with the necessary brands and, and and each of the new geographies you go into and establishing that customer base and so on. Um, talk a bit about some of the learnings there, if you don't mind. Yeah, I think great question. Um, I, I think as you may have picked up from from our uh, our answers, uh, I think with us, everything starts from customer or prospective customer feedback, right? Um, again, we focus heavily on enterprise customers, so it's not one of those where we know better and if we build it, they will come. It's really a partnership, right? Of, hey, what are you trying to accomplish in your business? What are your strategic goals and priorities? And how could we help with that, right? So one aspect is international growth or payments, right? Is critical for many companies, especially if you're uh, primarily online or mobile, you can go a global even faster because you don't need physical infrastructure or locations. Um, in the U.S., we're very used to historically debit and credit cards being the predominant way we pay, right? Even in the U.S., that's grown a lot where you now have Apple Pay, Google Pay, PayPal, Square Cash app, many buy now, pay later brands like Afterpay, Klarna, Affirm. And we offer all of those in the U.S. So in the U.S., as an example, one benefit is sort of, you know, the omni-channel capability, but also being able to offer all these different payment methods through one connection, right? Time to market, uh, speed, it's one implementation, and these are all configurations. 
Then you add on sort of international and outside the U.S., people actually pay in many different ways, right? Uh, so, of course, there's cards, but there's different wallets. There's also bank accounts. There's cash. In fact, in Netherlands, because uh, Rulant's based here and I happen to be here this week at head office, um, the most popular online payment method is something called Ideal, right? And it's basically a way to pay from your bank account, but it's not what we're used to in the US, like direct debit. Uh, it's sort of like Zelle, but it's been around for a lot longer, right? Where it's, hey, you're you're at the checkout page and you say, I pick Ideal, and you basically redirect it to your online banking uh, page. You sign in and authenticate the transaction and a real-time confirmation happens and then the money gets transferred. Uh, this is the way the majority of people want to buy goods online and mobile, right? And how do you make sure you can offer it? Because that's what your customers want. Um, so we've been able to expand around the world and say we can support your your card needs, but also all these local payment method needs. To your point, the complexity is um, what are those relevant payment methods? And we have teams on the ground in you know more than 26 countries to bring that expertise. Then it's, hey, how do you build it, right? Some of these are real-time. Some of these are asynchronous. Hey, how do we simplify it and do it in a consistent framework? So again, for our customers, it's one implementation. And after that, it's easy to just configure these and add them with very little to no work incrementally, right? Um, the third example is, to your point, regulatory, right? Some of these you can accept uh, with an entity in the U.S. Some you need a local entity. You need licenses for the money movement, the payouts. Uh, and we've gone and figured that out around the world. In Europe, for example, we have a full bank license. In, Europe, in the U.S., we have a branch license now and relevant in other parts of the world. Um, and then, you know, you layer on the other things we've already talked about being able to do this across um, physical, if you're um, uh, omni-channel. What if you have a platform business model? We see more and more customers have multiple business models, right? So they are retailers who started with sort of retail, online, physical. They're testing a marketplace model with, uh, where you can... Um, sell um the the used clothes right rather than it going to a third party um we have sort of digital goods merchants who are getting into merchandising right um and sort of uh creator economy and wanting to enable their users to create content and be able to sell it directly to Rulant uh, and you and I and that becomes an add-in for platforms customer um so to your point look it's it's taken us 16 years and listening to our customers um, and a lot of hard work and a lot of iteration, right? Um, often between customers and us, you don't get it immediately perfect the first time out the door, but how do you quickly then iterate uh, and build on that? And I think Rulant has a, a great story. Um, he was recently in Mexico that maybe he could uh, add on to of how uh, we've launched additional capabilities there, but how we leverage what we've built over the last 10 years to make it sort of really leapfrog what's available locally. Yeah, that's that's uh, I think a great example of how our model works and and how over time you you create a lot of value for customers. We we have um, as Kamran said we, we started at uh, at the time really supporting e-commerce merchants. Um, quickly we had success with 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 working for a lot of retail brands online, and then they started to ask us around um, like, can you also help us in store for all the reasons we talked about? Um, so we did that. We started at like ten years ago and. Over those years, we've learned a lot. We've constantly improved, and um, 
Uh, and by now, it's it's a um, you know very extensive solution that supports many different payment terminals for many different payment use cases. It supports a lot of data and reporting across the different channels for a lot of uh, uh, customer insights, um, and and really also supports all these new customer journeys that that, that people are looking at, like using mobile for shopping and checkout in store, etc. Now, over the past years, we've been also uh, expanding into uh, Mexico, for example. We typically do that by uh, looking at our customer demand. They're really asking us like, hey, can you help us in Mexico? That's an important country for us. So we start to figure it out. We start to build and we take the long-term approach. We know it's not going to be easy. It's going to take a while. And um, so a few years ago, we we started, we uh, we launched for online e-commerce. We, we had to learn a lot. Again, we started to work with local retailers in, in Mexico, and I was there three years ago. We we uh, started working for a large fashion retailer with their online business. We helped them a lot with uh, with fraud reduction, etc., which is a big topic in Mexico. Um, and then very recently, we launched our in-person payment solution in Mexico. Uh, so we uh, configured, we built a solution that we've been investing in for the last 10 years and really made it right for, for the local market in Mexico. And now we're launching that. And the beauty is that they can, it's not like a new solution for that specific market we launch and then we go again. No, they, they can tap into something that has been built with all the knowledge and all the learnings we've built out with the likes of, of H&M, uh, Uniqlo, etc. And they can tap into that. So they really can tap into a highly developed uh, uh, solution tailored now for the Mexican market. So then you can start to see these effects of, of bringing all that global experience into a solution and, and take that into a country like that, which which I think is a quite exciting uh, path because there's a lot of value in it for those customers. I, I wanted to ask you, Rulans, I... Uh... I wonder with a company, uh, it, it, the company's roots in the Netherlands, and with big ambitions that clearly from the early stages were to 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 uh, um, uh, operate far beyond the borders of just that country. Um, with with European roots, your expansion immediately goes into areas uh, where there are very different cultural elements. Uh, as as Cameron just mentioned a moment ago, different nuances to how business is done. Uh, how, how shoppers wish to shop and how payments are transacted and so forth. Um, you know, a lot of American companies, this market is so enormous that the blessing that eventually becomes a curse for some as they go internationally is just thinking that it's a rinse and repeat. What works in the US will work elsewhere. And then uh, you take what is a successful model in one country that then ends up failing in other places for the lack of that nuance. I wonder if there were advantages, if you see advantages uh, for the, just realizing uh, from the very earliest stages the necessity to translate the model with each country that you went to, perhaps in a different way than some of your peers uh, as technology startups would have done. And you certainly joined this organization when it was just a startup. Um, the advantages of that pathway. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think that's a really good point. Um, you know, we started here in the Netherlands. It's a tiny country. Um, you know, less people living here than in the capital of Mexico. So, um, you know, it, it means you have to start internationally, right? You can't build a whole business in this country and then start to look after a few years. Where do we go next? Now, we from day one, we knew this is going to be a global business. This is going to be a, a global solution. Um, our first customer was actually not a Dutch company, it was a German customer. So from day one, we started with that mindset. We knew and 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 then you start building um initially for customers in Europe and more and more international countries we were uh, we were adding to the solution 
And the beauty of that is that you instantly build, design the platform to be able to deal with all these different payment methods. Of course, card process is a, is a really big component, but a lot of different local payment methods, whether they're internet banking, buy now, pay later. You know, we supported buy now, pay later way before it got launched in the US. Um, and, and therefore, there's so much uh, experience in the platform with all that sort of complexity, not only on how you process a payment, but also how you do the reporting, how you optimize for that. Um, and I think the beauty now is if we look back, because if you would have asked me like 10 years ago, hey, how do you look at the US market at the time? We would like, oh, yeah, that's maybe quite a commodity. How much added value is is, is there for that, for that market? We weren't sure. Yeah, that's completely changed. Uh, you know, we're having lots of success in the US right now. A, because of our ability to deal with these all these different payment methods that are now also everywhere in the US, right? I mean, there's so many different ways to pay now beyond cards in, in the US market. Um, and secondly, all that experience I talked about in retail um, eh, that we launched in Mexico, I mean, it's the same in the US. There's the same needs that retailers have We've got the experience of dealing with that in, you know, 30, 40 different countries. So that there, there's a lot of logic that that we can now share with customers in the US that, that they very much appreciate. So um, a lot more complexity has gone into payments as payments have very much transitioned from being, you know, much more commodity run by financial institutions towards now yeah, a real technology heavy space. Um, where there's constant change and it's a much more strategic area for how you interact with your customers. So that that's the, I think timing wise, it's, it's been very much in our favor and um, and we now benefit from that after yeah 15 years of investing though. But um, yeah. Yeah. And if I could add um, Roland and Peter to Roland's uh, point, I think you sort of start getting network effects, right? Um, so, you know, again, we started off in a, in a few countries with a few customers and Last year, as an example, Peter, we processed a half a trillion euros on the platform, right? For many global brands across digital and uh, unified commerce. One of the newer markets for us is Japan, right? And so not only is it that, hey, we're launching Japan and we can now serve Japanese customers, but all of our existing global base that has a business in Japan can choose to use us, right? And then it comes down to, to Rulan's point, like, how are we differentiated? What's the value add? And if they're already buying into it, then it's an easier conversation. It's a very light lift for them, right, compared to before. And it also helps us that then in that new sort of country, we immediately have customers who are going live with us, right, uh, bringing volume to beer. And then, hey, that's also a good proof point for then customers in Japan where, Two examples, right? Amazon Japan has selected us, right, uh, as their uh, partner in Japan. And two, Uniqlo was already a customer using us outside of Japan. And so now, hey, it's still their choice and decision. But if they've been happy with us, we can have the discussion of what are their challenges in Japan? What do they like? How could we either immediately or what else would we build, right, to make it really um, the right uh, partner for them in their home market? So again, Continuing to listen to customers, continuing to build brings sort of, of course, incremental benefits to us, but more importantly to them. Um, and that is sort of really how we um, we really come up with most of the new ideas and things we do. Very, very interesting. Uh, Rulant, I'd love to go back to you for just a moment. Uh, the international expansion you just described, 
Um, how has the talent for the organization reflected that? So how, um, you know, how, where, where do you have centers of, uh, of people or, or, or uh, you know, re- regional presences and how has that continued to expand as a result of the, um, the business's expansion globally? Yeah, there's, um, it, it evolves and it also evolves in what we think is necessary, is required to, to grow for the next phase. I think uh, traditionally we've, we follow the model of being very close to our customers um, because we're, we're running a global platform, but we really make sure that we localize it to make sure it's a, a very localized solution. So uh, as a consequence, there's more than 26 offices nowadays with local people in countries like Singapore, uh, Australia, uh, Japan, you know, we're all over Europe in all these uh, different countries. We're in the US and Canada, Brazil, Mexico. Um, The reason for that is these markets all have their specific requirements. They have their specific developments. We want to be right next to them. Um, And we also want to be very close to our customers. We want to see them, we want to spend time with them uh, and we want to support and grow them uh, together. Um, so, so that's how we've evolved. So step by step over those years, we've expanded and set up offices, which t- typically have been um, more commercial offices with account management and salespeople, marketing, uh, that sort of functions, which has served us really, really well yeah, with some regional hubs. Uh, we started in the Netherlands. We set up a big hub in San Francisco, similarly in Singapore and Sao Paulo. Um, but but since, you know, we have big ambition. We've, we started, as Kaman said, we've develop this platform solution. We're developing further banking services. Um, so there's much, much more to do. Um, and as a consequence, we felt like, hey, we, we'd like to have broader development and engineering cap- uh, capabilities. We, for a long time, centralized it. We thought that's a great idea. People work really closely together. Um, but for further scaling, further growing, we saw that there's really the need to expand it. So we started to open up more regional hubs with engineering um, focus. Uh, we've done that in Madrid. We've done it in Chicago. And, and we continue to look look out for, for ways to do that because we need to scale further. And we're looking at different places to find the, yeah, to tap into different talent pools, really to further grow the, uh, the organization to realize our uh, ambitions. Yeah, very, very interesting. I, I, I appreciate you giving that overview. Uh, Cameron, I wanted to ask you, I, one of the things I found very interesting as I've learned more about uh, Adyen and gotten to know you a bit better is that you've reached this re- uh, remarkable scale and grown so much as we've described. Uh, but despite that fact, your technology has been uh, built in-house and you've also grown organically as opposed to uh, doing so through M&A. Both those factors would likely be surprising to some, at least, as they hear the story of Adyen. Um, talk a bit about the rationale behind uh, this approach, as well as the advantages of it, please. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we think it's it's the core differentiator, to be honest, right, of um, the fact that you have, as we said, all the relevant payment methods in all these different countries across all these different channels uh, with our own licenses and that we can provide it to you end to end. And the fact that it's one platform and one global instance sort of is what allows us to keep the speed and also makes it so easy that once you've integrated, uh, it really is uh, easy to add the incremental payment methods or countries or channels, right? In some or many cases, Honestly, it's just configuration changes. There's no incremental engineering work, right? And of course, you should test it, right? It's a new XYZ, but but apart from that, it's really seamless. Um, and we think that's been possible because we built everything in-house and we haven't done M&A, 
And if you look at the majority of the large sort of legacy uh, providers, I think the industry has grown through M&A. Um, you know, prior to IDN, I was also at Netflix. So I was uh, on the customer side, right, uh, using a lot of different players. And, and you find it's really hard to then offer a consistent customer experience because you can have one API. But again, uh, as the data flows through all the different underlying sort of tenants uh, or points, um, things got hard-coded over the years, right? The people who built it have moved on. It really isn't seamless. So we think it is a pretty unique differentiator. We are able to keep the speed in developing and launching new capabilities. Uh, and it is a core uh, asset, right, of what makes it so easy for our customers to move fast and time to market. Um, so that's why, look, you, you never say never, right? We're, we're pretty adamant. We're pretty vocal that we don't have an active M&A strategy. Uh, and, and the planned idea is to keep developing all of this in-house. And that ties back to Rulan's point. But of course, we want to scale our teams. Of course, we want to diversify talent base. Of course, we want to have it closer to our customers and why we've opened uh, the new offices and the new hubs, right? Um in Madrid, but also Chicago, and we'll continue looking at additional opportunities um, from there. That's fascinating. You mentioned moment uh, a moment ago, uh, Cameron, your time at Netflix. You were the head of global payments for that company, in fact, and and were with uh, another uh, sort of legendary, the original fintech by some people's uh, uh, estimation, in pay- PayPal for for about seven years. Uh, and so payments are clearly uh, something you know quite well from a variety of different uh, standpoints. Talk a bit about uh, how Adyen first got on your roadmap as somebody who's, uh, you know, had reason to think about this more than most. Yep. You know, I'd uh, met Adyen uh, as a potential customer, but that was well before we were doing anything. And then honestly, it was uh, coincidental. Uh, a common acquaintance connected Peter, who's uh, the Adyen CEO and co-founder, and I and said, hey, I think you two would like each other and it's just networking and why don't you have a chat and and i think uh, i guess nine and a half years ago now uh we chatted on skype right uh in those days i think zoom technically uh was a company but i don't know that there was a product live um, um and uh, honestly we just uh you know sort of built a relationship uh from there i had the privilege of going to amsterdam at Rulant and some of the other founding team uh, and in the end it comes back to today's discussion right like what fascinated me was um the vision, right? That, hey, we're building everything in-house. We want to do it end-to-end, not just digital and e-com, but also unified commerce. Um, and also, I think, honestly, we haven't talked uh, as much today, but I think we should, is the culture, right? Of, um, you know, uh, Roland, Peter, others had had company before. They were quite mature. Uh, they were like, we're building this for the long term. This is not to make a quick buck and move on culture is a very important part. How do we want to build this company, right? How do we want to work together? Um, and I think that is something that is fairly unique to us and is a big reason why we are able to attract talent uh, and retain it and really keep this discipline of long-term focus, long-term growth, uh, and not sort of reacting to sort of quarterly pressures and things like that. Um, those were the reasons, honestly, I joined. And I think in different words, why uh, I'm still here, right? People say nine years is a long time in this day and age. Uh, but, you know, it comes down to two things. I think one, I find I'm still learning after being in payments for 15 to 20 years. It's fascinating, right? Uh, so many countries, payment methods, channels, business models, 
um, our own growth, right? I joined, we were 150 people approximately. And, you know, we're, I think, uh, two and a half thousand plus um, and, and processing huge volumes. And the other is the culture, right? I really like the people I work with. And, and I like the fact that we're really able to help solve complex problems for our customers. Um, as long as we can keep doing those, then uh, there should be no shortage of fun challenges ahead. <laughs> Rulant, as, as somebody you I, I mentioned earlier, and obviously is 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 uh, a part and parcel of the role you have as uh, chief customer officer, you you speak with customers around the globe, and I, I'm curious now as you sort of are uh, taking their temperature as to things that excite them or worry them, or as they're planning uh, for the year ahead, as we're doing this interview uh, late in the year of 2022. What are some of the things that are, that are um, you're, you're hearing, and and likewise, how is that influencing your own roadmap as you look to the the year or a couple of years ahead? Yeah, that's that's a, that's a great question. I think um, we we service three different categories at a very high level. But on the one hand side, it's it's these large digital merchants um, for whom you know their audience is really people across the globe, and they continue to want to you know look at how can we reach more people with more localized payment methods. So that's something that hardly ever stops because there's so much change constantly, and and that will that will continue. And the and the other big theme there is you know constant optimization these companies are really looking for the best experience in payments the highest number of successful payments the lowest number of declined transactions full automation of processes uh, etc and they're um, and that's what we're heavily focused around it's um, um, and, and that will go on. Now, if you then look at the next uh, uh, area, that's very much around what we call unified commerce, a lot of retail, food and beverage, hospitality. Um, and, the, and the ongoing theme there is convenience, you know, um, and we all see it day by day, right? So go to a hotel. How often don't you get a bit annoyed waiting in line if you want to rush a checkout? I mean, we all recognize this. These are the themes that people are working on right now. How can we make it more easy, more convenient? Um, retail is all about giving consumers choice. It's all about loyalty. How can we make it better? On the one hand, combine creating a real good experience um, for our customers when they visit us, build brand loyalty. How can we interact, engage with them? Um, and again, data, giving access to data plays a key role. So I think in retail, you know, creating these new experiences, new customer journeys, and loyalty are big themes. And a lot of that centers around uh, payments and payments unlocks a lot of that thing. So that stuff uh, we're, we're working very intensely uh, on to make that make that possible, very much a long-term uh, long approach. And then finally, this new chapter for us, which is about enabling platforms, uh, online platforms that are uh, enabling smaller uh, smaller sellers to, to sell uh, their items across the world, but also platforms in the physical world, enable them to accept payments, uh, enable them to have their merchants accept payments and beyond, really helping them become uh, platforms that offer wider banking services. Yeah, that, that, that's, that's a whole new economy out there, which is very exciting for a lot of us. It's a very long-term approach, but we're now putting, uh, you know, we're, we're putting the things in place together with them to try and build this together, and that's a very exciting path because you're really, yeah, working on a whole new, uh, new terrain, which uh, is very exciting for us. Well, that long-term approach has certainly uh, served you all very well. <laughs> that's certainly a thread that runs through this. Uh, 
Well, uh, Cameron Zaki, Rulon Prince, thank you both so much for uh, spending time with me today, sharing a bit of the perspectives of this remarkable company, its growth, its future. It's been a wonderful conversation. Thanks for having us, Peter.